This is Kim Paffinroth, author of Gospel of the Living Dead, and you are listening to The Graveyard Show. Welcome to another edition of the Graveyard Show podcast. I am your caretaker, and the graveyard is open. Welcome back, everybody. As I wrap up my interview with Kim Paffenroth, this is part three of three. And for this interview, we will wrap it up as we discuss the film's Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead. And again, if you want to purchase Kim's book, uh, the book that we've been discussing, Gospel of the Living Dead, you can certainly find it out there. Um, ob- the obvious place is uh, Amazon.com. So take a look, uh, see if it's out there. I highly recommend it. I read the book before interviewing Kim. It's a really great book. And if you're just now joining us, we discussed Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. And then two before this one, uh, we talked about just the overall discussion of the book and a couple other topics related to the book as well. Again, disclaimer, if you have not seen Day of the Dead and or Land of the Dead, if you've not seen one or both, um, these films will be discussed in great detail. So spoiler alert, as we say nowadays, the movies are going to be discussed in great detail. So if you want to see them uh, before listening to the interview please by all means go watch them online stream them pop in a dvd however it is you want to watch it go ahead and then come on back because we're still here man i did the same thing last show too (laughs) i don't know why i'm doing that it's almost bill clinton like anyway there we go uh anyway (laughs) so be that as it may uh we will be discussing about uh a lot of things in these films Certainly, again, uh, race, which is a theme that comes up quite a bit in these movies, as well as class. Uh, And I'm not talking about school. (laughs) Um, The uh, class structures, as well as uh, military versus the scientists. And who is the most villainous of villains between uh, the film's land and day? So there's a lot to be discussed. And... Uh, I think in this interview, we kind of pepper in a little bit of discussion of Diary of the Dead, which had just come out, but it wasn't included in his book because the book had come out before Diary. So there you go. Yet the book, Diary of the Dead, came out, and then this interview. So there you have it, in chronological order. Okay. Ah, there he is, right on time as always. My trusty werewolf, Lawrence, he is here to keep me on time and to save you from listening to me yammering on as I tend to do. So Lawrence will take you deep into the archives of the Graveyard Show podcast, where I will wrap up my interview with author Kim Paffenroth, author of Gospel of the Living Dead. Okay, and maybe a little production value, because, you know, I'm just an entertainer, folks. Okay, <laughs> the time... I'm such a dope. Uh, the time... Um, at the time is uh, November 24th, 2009, and the place, Graveyard Show Podcast 47. So uh, 16 shows had gone by since my last interview with Kim. I don't know why that was. I don't know. Anyway, enjoy the interview, folks. I will be right here when you return, unless, of course, I lose my mind once again. All right. <laughs> I will see you when you come back here. Enjoy. 
Kim Paffenroth is the author of the book, Gospel of the Living Dead, George Romero's Vision of Hell on Earth. And of course, he has his PhD in religious studies as well, which most of you should know if you listen to uh, podcast number 30 and 31. Well, I'm very pleased to say that Kim is back here uh, in the graveyard so we can finish our discussion on his book. Kim, thank you so much for staying up late to join me in the graveyard. Thanks for having me again. Well, um, let's see. In podcast 31, we left off with the original Dawn of the Dead. So now, of course, we'll pick it up with uh, with Day of the Dead. Uh, it's certainly a different film altogether uh, as we leave the very familiar um, house or mall setting. Uh, so now here we are. We're underground and find ourselves as viewers uh, in between this battle between the military and the scientists. Uh, would you say that this was the darkest of all the films? It is. It is, and that's and in a way, you know, in a way, it's a return. It's a return to night because the main, you know, the main tension in the film is the is the is the tension and the conflicts between the survivors and the and the and the zombies. You know, given the setup of the uh, the, the storage facility that they're in, the, the zombies are really well. They're even much more at bay than they were in in night. There's really no way for them to get in unless the human survivors um, uh, do something. To each other, to to incapacitate each other, and and and, and let the zombies in. Uh, so we're back to that scenario. I was going to say, I think visually, the, uh, the the weakness of the film is the is the literal darkness. That that's mm-hmm. so much of the film, at least when I've. I guess I, that, that's that is. Huh. Come to think of it, that that's the only one of the films. No, night. Okay, night and that are the only films I haven't seen at the theater. Okay. And seeing it on a TV screen. You know, uh, half the time I can't tell what's going on because it's just so dark. Yeah. Uh, the way it's shot, and also the sound. Uh, the sound, at least in my DVD copy, is very, very garbly. And and uh, I, I played several when I was writing the book. I played several scenes over and over, trying to figure out what the heck they were saying exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's dark. It's, it's so I, I suppose the literal darkness is, is kind of a drawback to the to the to the visual effect of the film. But the the, the darkness, the dark, the inner darkness of the people. Is, is harkens back to night and, and works well for what it is. Yeah, and um, you know it's interesting because when I the first few times that I saw Day um, on on VHS uh, at that time, I wasn't really a big fan of it. I mm-hmm. I kind of liked it, but it wasn't certainly compared to one and two. I mean, it's you know you can't even compare. But recently I'd gone back and seen it, and I and I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I remember when I first, you know, the first five or ten times that I had seen it. Um, did you feel that way when you when you watched this? Do you think this is a movie that might be like a fine wine, just age better over time? <laughs> my, my reaction exactly. When I, was, when I was writing the book, I remember not particularly liking it, and even in the, the, the two times I viewed it, when, when I, I think, I, I don't know if I described my writing process, I think I did the last time we spoke, mm-hmm. but my writing process, it was, you know, having seen the films, previously but for the actual writing of the book was to sit down and just watch the dvd all the way through mm-hmm. and then and that takes you know an evening and but then go through over a series of probably five evenings with the remote control and just stopping it every couple minutes and taking notes um so watching it a second time but a much more protracted viewing mm-hmm. that time and and even with those those two regular and then long viewing for the for writing the book um it did kind of grow on me. I do think. Um, I mean, if, you know, you've got the be- you got you got the best zombie of all with Bob, and 
mean, in a way, I suppose you have the best. You bet. Yeah, you have, yeah, sure. You have the best villain of all. You know, possibly Kaufman, mm-hmm. played by Dennis Hopper in, in Land. But you, you've definitely got one of the best villains. Um, you know, I don't. I don't feel like the heroes are that strong in that film. Um, in in day. Yeah, and uh, yeah, in day. Yeah. Uh, and they're so. You know, much like Dawn, it's sort of bogged down in the middle with people sitting around talking a lot. Yes, which you do um, mention in your book. <laughs> yeah, which, which if you again, if if you're stopping and taking notes and and then listening to it, they're they're saying some interesting things. But it is it is is you know, in, in terms of the action of the film, it's, it's definitely bogging it down. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, in this, so yeah, it is it is one I appreciate as someone who's looking at the ideas, and definitely as I've talked more to fans, my gosh, I mean, they, they love the last 20 minutes with the feeding frenzy there. And yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's their shtick, and that's yeah. what they're into, and I can see that, again, in terms of how it's photographed, it's so different from Dawn. You know, Dawn has that garish, neon, totally fake-looking blood everywhere. Yeah. And, and Day has that stuff that looks like Bosco syrup. <sighs> actually may well have been that, you know, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, kind of splattering all over the place. In this film... Uh, we're introduced to our heroine, uh, Sarah, who is one of the scientists. Um, how does she differ from the other women uh, in the previous movies? Interesting, interesting. Um, well, I'd put her more in line with Fran than with Barbara. I mm-hmm. mean, I think he, he grew away from the helpless woman heroine. I guess I don't know if you can say a helpless woman heroine. That doesn't make sense. That's kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> But he grew away from the, cat- the, the catatonic kind of Barbara mm-hmm. in the first one. He grew away from that. Um, I suppose, if anything, she's a little... Um, uh, Sarah is a little more uh, immediately uh, capable than Fran was. I suppose what I most appreciate about Fran is how she sort of grows into the role. Yeah. And how she also maintains, you know, just through the fact of being pregnant and through her, through her speeches, maintains a sort of maternal presence mm-hmm. in the film. Which I always felt, I always felt Sarah was sort of kind of aloof and scary, especially with the arm chopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's cool and all, but it, she's a little, almost a little too matter of fact and businesslike about everything. Yeah. Would you say that Fran, going back to Dawn, would you say that Fran might be maybe the toughest of the women, at least in the first three films? Um, you know, to what she grows into by the end and, and, and her capabilities by the end, um, uh, you know, she's like the student that you give, like, most improved to. Yeah. <laughs> she, she definitely goes from, you know, being, you know, borderline helpless damsel in distress. I mean, yeah, I mean, the way she's cornered by the Harry Krishna and all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely sets her up as very helpless, and by the end, she's she's as, actually, rather quickly, she's as capable as, as the men. Yeah. Spoken like a true teacher, Kim. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna give, <laughs> we're gonna give we're gonna give this one goriest, this one best, this one most improved. We'll have a perfect attendance. Yeah, you know, you might have later to, on. Yeah, you might have to do a, a a fake class with all the characters from the film. That's give, right. Give out your. <laughs> That's right. Bub Bub gives perfect attendance. He yeah, exactly. To class. <laughs> now, unlike Fran in Dawn, um, Sarah seems to be exposed to a lot more, uh, quote, real uh, dangers, I guess you could say, um, mm. in, in Day of the Dead, would, wouldn't you say? Well, I, I certainly, and she's, and she's de- I mean, as I think about the way that the, the, the action scenes are blocked, I mean, Fran, Fran's completely insulated from the bikers, 
whereas the whole tension in, in Day is that Sarah's, you know, constantly exposed to Rhodes and his men. Yeah. So the, the human the human on human or the live human on live human violence is much more prevalent or even the, the, the scene where her uh, her boyfriend smacks her yeah. in Day is very harsh and, and Rhodes and Steele and the others are constantly threatening rape. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um that, uh, and, I, and I would narrow it down to say she's not just exposed to more violence, but she's exposed to more human violence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, Day of the Dead is is the f- first that shows which follows in land, but it, it, Day is the first film that does show a lack of consideration for eliminating the zombies. And we, we touched on this on the previous shows, uh, but now, now we can kind of get into it. So um, why don't you describe what that means in terms of just, you know, eliminating the zombies, how we've gone now from night and dawn, where we've sort of humanized the zombies now to day and then soon to be land, where we dehumanize them. Interesting, interesting. So uh, you got to say a little bit more about what, how you're asking about dehumanized. Cause well, um, in, in other words, the, the kills, in other words, how in the first two movies, our heroes are a little more reluctant to kill the zombies because they remind them so much of their human side. But now in day, we're starting to see the zombies are being treated more like pieces of meat, not only by the military, but by the scientists. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I see that. Um, I, I mean, I suppose I would, I would put the narrative, yep. the narrative flow as it's more of a contrast. I mean, yes, yeah. they're being treated that way, but we're constantly being challenged to see that as a as a moral mm-hmm. failing on the part of the human characters. Yeah. Um, and uh, and at the same time, of course, we're 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 shown we're shown Bub behaving in these very you know uh, shocking and and wildly different ways that yeah. you know he doesn't bite his keeper on the one hand, but when he's offered a bucket full of people stuff people meet you know he tears into that yeah so yeah i mean i, I agree I, when you said dehumanize i wasn't quite sure where you're where oh, you're going with this. Sure. yeah there's a de- there's a dehumanizing aspect but there's also a, a there's also a, a counterbalancing aspect in which the zombies are, are shown to be evolving in a, in a more human direction mm-hmm. and especially i i would especially underline it for bub the way he kind of he doesn't he doesn't join in the, the feeding on on roads at the end. He, he shoots them, and the rest of the zombies fall on him. And then he then you see Bub wander off. Yeah. Exactly, and that that's that that gesture is repeated at the, at the mm-hmm. end of land. Yeah. Well, speaking of Bub, uh, in your book you you quoted Romero saying that Bub is the uh, quote zombie with a soul. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, yeah. What 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 exactly do you think he meant by that? Well, uh, well it's again it's. Um, Boy, yeah, I guess I can say this. Um, R- Romero's very good, I think, at having, <laughs> and it's it, it goes back to my to, to how we were talking about the the visual effect of Day, mm-hmm. and how it's how it's both sort of a plus and a minus. Yep. It, it's, it's a dark film, so that's good, but it's also a dark film, so I can't see what's happening, and that frustrates me. <laughs> so I'd, I'd say Romero's narrative is is similarly frustrating sometimes. He's very good at having dark human characters mm-hmm. you know, right from the anti-hero Ben who's not you know not fully we can't fully root for him because he's, he's, he's fairly violent and selfish and, and, and domineering mm-hmm. um, and it sort of reaches I think uh, you know it reaches the point where it really fails in Diary where we just have a cast of people that we just don't like mm-hmm. and, and we can't root for so that's that would sort of be the other extreme 
or that would be the extreme that it could go to, and then you're not going to root for it. Um, so he's always been good at having sort of soulless living people, you know, yeah. people people who we who we root against and we just find disgusting and abhorrent. And of course, since we're talking about day, of course, Rhodes. I mean, although I suppose he sort of verges on the comical in some parts, and especially if, if you've met Joe Pilato, you know it verges on the comical because <laughs> he's he's just a funny guy <laughs> when you meet him. He's <laughs> a very funny, excessive man. Um, um, so I think again, what 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 Romero's trying to set up is a contrast. So we've got the we've got the bad, soulless humans, but here increasingly in in day and land, we're having the soulful uh, zombies, mm-hmm. and and he likes to play around with that contrast and and get us to root for these uh, you know walking corpses. Yeah. He's you just also, such a naughty man. He likes to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you 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 wind up um, talking about in the book as well the how Bub is the precursor to Big Daddy in Land of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain a little bit about that? Well, just, the, I mean, it, you know, up until then, we had we had no clue that that um, zombies could remember anything or, 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 I mean, we had some indication that they could reason in the sense that they could, you know, uh, figure out how to open a door or something, but... Uh, certainly no memory of their past lives, you know, no ability to speak, uh, no abil- and, and, you know, maybe most importantly, no ability to interact with other zombies. You know, mm-hmm. they just sort of bump into each other like pinballs yeah. while, on the, while on their way to trying to eat us. Yeah. So for him to have some kind of personality and, and to whatever, uh, somebody asked me which Stephen King novel he was reading in the book, in the movie, and I couldn't remember. Because I thought it was, this, I thought it was... Oh my God! I'm, I'm still not sure. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, you know. I, but for him yeah. to for him to, for him to read a book and talk on the phone and 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 do things that people do. Yep. Um, you know, there's there, there's nothing in the first two films to set up for that. Yeah. And yet that becomes that becomes the the, the dominant uh, it becomes the dominant image and theme in in land, and also you know spills over now into lots of other people's work. Yeah. Including my own. You know, because it seems to me like. You know, at a, at a certain point, you're just going to exhaust the narrative possibilities of mindless zombies. Sure. You know, I mean... <laughs> yeah, there's a natural progression of... Yeah. Uh, they have to... Now they have to do something other than just walking around. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. I mean, they, 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 they eat, they, they kill, they eat, and then they stand around. And it's... Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that can occupy you for a while, but if you're going to have any kind of extended... Uh, you know, zombie mythos. It seems to me you have to go in the direction of giving them more personality, yep. or you just have to go the slapstick direction, like Shaun of the Dead or Zombie Land, mm-hmm. and that's that's fine. And I think there's a huge, uh, obviously with Zombie Land success, there's obviously a huge market for that. Yeah, but uh, you, you're gonna have to do something with them. Yeah. Would you say that the scientists in Day are? I don't know how. I don't know if I would say more villainous, but would you say that? The scientists, because you you would naturally think, oh, the military with the guns and their and their bullying and obviously the threats that they can that they do in the film, mm-hmm. that they are the obvious bad guys. But would you would you say that clearly, or would you think maybe the scientists, because of the way they're cutting these corpses up and just using them for these? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a good question. I mean, I, I do think you know, uh, uh, 
I forgot what his original name was in the movie. Uh, Rhodes always calls him Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein is, is, is obviously meant to be a counterbalancing villain to, to Rhodes, and, 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 and those two between the two of them have all the good lines in the movie in, in terms of you know, yelling at each other about mm. what's going on. Um, you know, I suppose the, the you know, with the, with the fact that Sarah is, and, and for that matter, uh, John and, and, the, and the helicopter pilot, too, yep. are both at least marginally aligned with the, with the scientists, mm -hmm. perhaps that should put your sympathy a little bit more towards their end. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the way, the way, you know, the way Frankenstein is shown, uh, while butchering the one soldier to feed him too, Bob. Yeah. Certainly pushes you in the direction of thinking this is a, this is a more abhorrent way to uh, to behave. Mm -hmm. Um. So you know, uh, close call, I'd say. And and uh, if you if you want to put if you want to push me on the on the on the Dante connections, I would say da Dante would put the scientists lower. You're right. Yeah. That that perverted reason is worse than perverted <laughs> violence. Yep. You're reading my mind, Kim. We've we've been doing yeah. a long, long interviews together for a while because that was my next question. Good. Yeah, because 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 in your book you do, and again for those that haven't listened to the previous shows, um, there is dark correlations that that Kim does make between the the zombie Romero zombie mil films and Dante's Inferno, but you mentioned that um, one of the rungs of hell directly apply with Day of the Dead, and would you mind explaining which one that is? One of the, um, or actually, I don't think you were very specific. I, I think land, you're very specific. But in this one, you talk about the wrongs of hell and how they apply to Day of the Dead. Well, yeah, that 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 the the failure of reason. Yeah. I, I think is 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 what, um, or the perversion of reason at that point really yep. is what is is what would apply closest to the uh, to the to the analogy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dante is about. Um, uh, Sins, uh, sins of of appetite or desire, he would say, are, are less bad because they are at least you know sort of they're sort of just understandable. They're sort of biological urges. Mm -hmm. But perversion of reason is something is something uniquely human for one thing, and um, ends up in in worse abuses than 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 simply well again than simply the zombies. I mean the zombies in a way are sort of the ultimate example of um, animal appetites gone berserk, right? Because yeah. they just kill and eat. Whereas torturing people, zombies are, for example, incapable of. They really can't. You know, they're going to they're kill you and eat you as quickly and efficiently as possible. They may not, you know, do a particularly good job of it, but yeah. they're, they're not going to deliberately prolong your your pain. Yeah. Whereas the scientists do seem to be hacking them up in, in particularly gruesome ways. Yeah. Certainly, one scene that comes to mind is the. Um scene where the zombie's on the table and when he gets up. Sure, sure, everybody likes that. Or, yeah. I don't know if likes is the right word, but yeah, certainly I certainly remember it. Yeah, I mean, that's just <laughs> like, whoa. Oh. It's like when we talked about the elevator scene in Dawn. Yeah, how it yeah, just, yeah. you're not going to shake that, are you? Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's, just, it's there. That's it. It's burned into your memory. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, the character of John, who is um, African-American in the film, um, he's very important in this film. Um, would you say that he is our conscience? Hmm. 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 That's an interesting... That wouldn't be the first word I would have used for it, but uh -huh. I think it's related. I would say he's like our... our 
Yeah, I mean, he's our connection to something almost mystical, you know? I mean, yeah. he's almost talking in these very sort of um, magical, mystical kind of terms of of, um, of 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 getting in touch with something something higher, and 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 in that very noticeably Jamaican accent too. Yeah. I think it's quite deliberate in the in the film. Um, so conscience. Um, yeah, and then if it, whichever he is, whether he's a yearning for something higher or a conscience, it is funny how dismissive he is of the previously existing world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I suppose the first thing that jumps out at me about him is how he says, you know, we need to we need to get out of this tomb here where they've put all the stuff from the old world, and we just need to forget about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is such a such a damning sort of uh, evaluation of everything that's gone before yeah yeah certainly and it obviously Very kind of, it kind of reminds me of Planet of the Apes too you know oh the way they find the missile yeah at the end you know yeah just, okay here's the old world we need it we boy we really need to get away from that yeah it's wrong oh yeah god yeah wow yeah I haven't thought about that one in a while <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's quite yeah. Beneath the Planet of the Apes is quite quite a nightmare sequence. That whole last bit underground. That's just good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. With the, with the worshiping the bomb. Oh yeah. my God. And then they take off the faces. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that again. That just stays with you. Yep. Um, night. The uh, Night of the Living Dead implied racism, as we talked about mm-hmm. in podcast mm-hmm. thirty-one. Um, there's never any racist banter. There's never any racism implied. Dawn touches on it. Mm-hmm. But Day puts it out there. It, this is the one that really kind of just throws it out there. Um, yep, that's true. Yep. Uh, certainly with the interracial couple and um, uh, and with uh, racist uh, commentary as well made by the soldiers. Do you think it's? Do you think the effect is is the same as the previous films? Do you think it has that same effect? Interesting. Interesting. I guess it's just. To me, it's just sort of a crasser version of it. So yeah. I didn't, I hadn't, I, I hadn't made any particular uh, association with it, except that, that again, Captain Rhodes just seems to do everything rather more, you know, overtly and obviously, and yeah. and and, and, and uh, more exaggerated kind of way. Um, though it is funny that they're gonna, <laughs> they're, they're gonna. I don't know. I mean, I, I never know what to think of how they're going to live on the island at the end, if they even get to the island, or if that's supposed to be a dream sequence. Well, yeah, that's actually, I was going to ask you about that next. Um, you know, let's move on to that, because okay. this this was the part, and, and and again, if you have not read this book, you guys, you need to go out and you need to, to get Gospel Living Dead, because it really does make you think about the series. And like, um, like, like it did for me when I was reading about Night of Living Dead, and and we discussed how you know how even in my small little mind I, I'd written a paper on Night, and I'd, and I'd seen it so many times, I never thought about how Ben was really an antihero and how everybody there you're really not rooting for him. I, I just never crossed my mind and, until I read your book, and I was like, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. In Day of the Dead, you did it again for me, where you talk about the ending. Um, first of all, let's set up the ending for those who may be listening to this and haven't really seen Day of the Dead. Um, the ending is is Sarah and the two men, John and, and the helicopter pilot, are running out to the helicopter, and as Sarah goes to get into the helicopter, the zombie is in there and it grabs her, and then she wakes up, and they're all on the island with the helicopter. 
Na naturally, I thought, oh, she must have been dreaming that the zombie was in there. But you, you no. bring up some interesting points about the different types of endings that, or how it could be implied. Why, why don't you tell us about that? Well, I did. I, I just, I, I just think it is one of those, you know. It was only a dream, or was it? Kind of mm -hmm. narrative cop-out type endings, you know, that you get at at the end of anything that's setting, trying to set up for a sequel, or that they're that's just not willing to commit to what the rest of the movie should have been implying was the ending. Yeah. Um, so I was, yeah. So I mean, I, I think it's set up so that you don't know if the zombie grabbing her is a dream, or if you, or if you think that the, that the island is a dream. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, and and both are held up there, you know, as, as equally valid somehow. So I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't appreciate that sort of narrative kind of cop out at the end there. Mm -hmm. um, again, as as we were talking about you know, uh, the ending, I, I was I was wondering. It's it's very different. You know, I mean, it's, in other words, that that's very different than the ending of Dawn. Yeah. We, we don't know what happens to them, but we know how it's set up. Yep. And we know, and and we're just left to imagine. Whereas here, we're we're given two things, and we're we're asked to think that one might be a dream. That that seems to me different. So at the end of Dawn, we're asked to think, okay, these two people are going to fly off, and sure, maybe the helicopter crashes in five minutes, and they both die. Yeah. Or maybe they have some life together. Mm-hmm. And you know, and again fill in the blanks however you want. You can imagine their life together yep. however you want to. Yep. Whereas at the end, of, at, if if they're on the island together, I'm, I'm having a little trouble imagining what their life is supposed to be like exactly. Yeah. Just because that's an, an, an inherently problematic combination, two guys and a gal, right? I mean, they're yeah. not going to... It's not going to be friendly one way or another. I mean, it could be, I guess. I'm, the helicopter pilot's consistently shown to be an alcoholic, so I guess, you know... <laughs> He can just drink yeah. forever. <laughs> 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 so perhaps alcohol is the solution. I don't know, yeah. but it it, yeah. it just seems like I, I don't know. It, it just seems like a, 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 a it's a fairly unsatisfying. Something should have been done to clean up what was yeah. supposed to be implied by that. Yeah, because even the movie, if I'm remembering correctly, the movie even begins with a dream sequence where she's going to the yeah. calendar, and then so the, that's where the hands come out of yeah, the wall. The hands thing. come out of yeah, the wall. That, and, and it's yeah, it is. It's kind of bizarre because yeah, you know, I'm thinking about it. It's like it begins with a dream sequence and it ends with a dream sequence. Sure. So it's like, well, where does that leave? Where does that leave us? Right. Not, right. Not, right. Right. Not in a very good spot. No, I think it was just coming out. I think it was. I think the movie came out at a time when that was just kind of in vogue with the, with the yeah. Friday the Thirteenth and the Nightmare on Elm Street things. It's just a cop out at the end and say, oh, it's just a dream. Yeah. Well, we're gonna move on from day as we segue now into land um and it, your your title for the chapter on land is uh the, the deepest abyss of hell and the final hope it's quite a quite a cool title for a chapter oh, thank you. <laughs> um it, it almost sounds like a movie title itself you know um yeah. uh now land is is certainly one of the most different films of of the four of the original four um it, it now has stars in it. It has a big budget. You know, you're looking at a, at a Romero movie, and you see Dennis Hopper, Aja Argento, and, and John Leguizamo in the film. Do you think that um, that might have taken away from the film, almost like you know, like it was selling out? Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, I'm I'm just not. You know, I'm just not from that fanboy culture. I guess I can't. Yeah, I can't buy into that whole thing because I know that's what a lot of people at conventions I go to 
kind of kind of say. Um, and that's you know, <laughs> who listens to the show of yours, by the way? Who, who, whom am I saying these things to that I shouldn't be? Um, <laughs> I don't know, but if you say anything controversial, I'm sure I'll hear about it. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And I'll, I'll see them at the next convention. Exactly. Yeah, um, Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, you know, God God bless the fans. If you, if you want to subsist on direct-to-DVD videos, as, if that's what you like watching, then, yeah. I, again, I've, I've been at enough cons with all these boxes of straight-to-DVD stuff there. I guess there's plenty of stuff out there for you to watch. <laughs> uh, me, I, I don't really mind higher production values. I yeah. don't mind, you know, some decent acting. Yep. Um, and, and so I had, I had nothing against it. I, I would agree with it to the extent that I don't think it's a conventional horror movie. It's much more. It's a conventional action film yep. with some horror elements. You know, but that's again, that's that's how I would describe something. You know, as good as like Aliens. You know, Aliens is an action film. It's not really a monster film anymore, but yeah. uh, it's got some great monsters and it's got some great moments and, and and works fine. Yeah. Well, the theme for Land of the Dead is definitely the class struggle. You have rich versus poor, and um, I would say zombie versus human, as they struggle mm-hmm. to, you know, settle somewhere and make a life. Would would you would you agree with that? Do you think that's oh sure his? sure 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 yeah no, I mean he's 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 put in he he's put in um, he's put in the class struggle uh, at, at two different points I mean it's zombie versus human where zombies are representing some sort of oppressed underclass but then it's also within the city and I have seen I think if you watch the DVD extras you'll see that there's quite a few outtakes uh, that that have trimmed down the subplot quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But in in the original, it would have been even more clear that there was more tension within the human city, and it's still even in the final cut, it's still left pretty clear that there are lots of people living in this kind of shanty town around the base of Fiddler's Green, mm-hmm. while Hopper and and henchmen live in this thing that looks like you know something between you know Las Vegas and Trump Towers or whatever the heck it's supposed to be, or yeah. like a mall, really. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really is a nice throw. It's a it's a nice throwback to the to the Mall of Dawn of the Dead, except it's much more upscale. Yeah. Well, now, interestingly enough, in this particular film, um, Romero's African American lead actor is not a human; is a zombie. He kind of he kind of mm-hmm. flips it. Um, but I guess you could say he's the lead antagonist, but really, he's one of the lead heroes, right? Sure, sure. I mean, right, right. I mean, uh, Hopper's the antagonist. Yeah. You but, know, and even and and Leguizamo is, is in is in this kind of interim position, and um, so yeah, no, you can't call you can't call Big Daddy really the the, the antagonist of the story. Yeah. He's much he's much more parallel to the. Uh, um, to, to the guy that, yeah, that Hopper to Riley. To retrieve, yeah. yeah, Riley, thank you, to would, retrieve uh, Dead Reckoning. So would you say at this point now in the series, Romero has now kind of shifted the zombies as opposed to when you look back at night and dawn and, and, and day, but really more, I think, night and dawn where they're, they're the enemy. Would you say at this point now Romero has, has put it where they're part of society and it's up to both humans and zombies to integrate, or not integrate, but coexist in some fashion. Yeah, and I think that's you know, uh, it, it, a lot of times I think he's 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 kind of 
gradually evolving ideas that he had, you know, from the beginning. But you're right that it, that it plays itself out in different narrative ways. I mean, he he'd always had the idea ever since night that the old order had to be overthrown. Uh, and and you know, by that he means our consumerist, nationalistic, you know, usually very narrowly American way of life is um, sinful and defunct and, and dysfunctional, and it's going to be something very violent that overthrows it. So you'd always have that in mind, I think, mm -hmm. but um, you're right, it, it didn't play itself. It, it, the logical outcome of that is that the zombies are going to be the good guys, but that doesn't surface explicitly until the fourth movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, we try different ways of, of putting that problem, it seems like. Yeah. And you have these two heroes, the the human in Riley and Big Daddy and the zombie, that ultimately are just looking to live in a peaceful world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, there, there seems to be a, a, a truce at the end there. Um, you know, there's all kinds of little sort of in-jokes about how the humans are going to go off to Canada. Because you know, that's... That's funny because we think of the Canadians as, you know, not a, not a particularly warlike or, you know, yeah. <laughs> or we just, uh, as, as Americans, we always think of Canadians as sort of, you know, America light or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and here it's like, well, we need to go to Canada. We need, and, yeah. and again, that's, that's Romero the same boy. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Americans that. Americans. Yeah, because I, I mean, I still think of, you know, um, still that, of that time where you think of Vietnam and you hear people going sure. to Canada. Sure, he's harkening back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. Yeah. And it's also, and I, I suppose there's, there's a gag, you know, that the movie's filmed in Canada instead of America because it's so damn expensive yeah. to film movies in America. <laughs> so yeah, there's lots of little gags going in there, but it's all, it's all a matter, I think, of, of we need to give up on this, this, this American dream, quote unquote dream, that isn't that, to Romero's eyes, isn't, isn't working out so good. Mm -hmm. And it has, he, he, he has a very interesting part where that, that plays out a few times is the whole fireworks thing. Um, oh yeah! Oh my God! <laughs> you know, which is so surreal. You know, because it's like they mm -hmm. fire off the fireworks into the sky. You have all the zombies just looking at them like they're kids. Like ultimately, yep. they're just kind of, you know, they see the pretty lights in the sky. And um, in your book, you mentioned how you know Riley would probably just be as content as while they're distracted, just getting everything, getting out of there, as opposed to just wiping them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sure, and I mean, the whole, you know, the, the, the fact that we associate fireworks with the 4th of July and, and you know, the, the zombies seem mesmerized by this, this sort of uh, vestigial or, or residual patriotism, you know? Yeah. And again, the way, that, the way that we're sort of awed by the idea of America and we, and we don't see the, we don't see the seedy, um, unsavory parts, which are obviously represented by Hopper, who, who, who you know, very carefully hides all of his evil deeds. Yeah. And of course, how you know? How, I mean, my God, how? I mean, I've said this a few times. You know how how blatantly an anti-Bush movie is that? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's a, it's as blatantly anti-Bush as as Fahrenheit 9/11, I think. Mm -hmm. And yet, to me, is is sort of more more fun to watch now. I I, I saw Fahrenheit 9/11 at the theaters, and mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to buy it on DVD. I don't really need to see that. But to me, the the kind of satire in in Land probably is more long-lasting mm -hmm. would you say you know i was going to say this for later but would you say that this film sits in sort of that framework of the post 9 11 mentality oh absolutely absolutely and and i wouldn't even you know i wouldn't even say 
post 9/11 so much as yeah. explicitly Iraq War. Uh huh. You know, sure. It seems like we're we're at war with these these uh, you know these godless infidels or whatever the whatever the zombies are the, 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 these these people these people that you know I mean Hopper even says you know, these, these people that threaten our way of life and and, and although some people have, misattri- have misattributed the line he says we do not negotiate with terrorists some several people have said that's from Bush but of course it's from Reagan. Mm-hmm. But either way, I mean, it's supposed to be hearkening back to, to this Republican mentality mm-hmm. of us versus them, and the them are this 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 monstrous other who's who's going to destroy us. When in fact, it's the uh, it's the union busting bosses at the top who are making our lives miserable. Now, would you say that Kaufman is probably the most villainous of all the characters in the series? Yeah, you know, like I said, I was I was going to give the nod to Rhodes because Rhodes Rhodes is so funny, and because I've, I've met the actor a couple times. But you know, I mean, for my money, Hopper is one of the great, you know, along with Christopher Walken, is one of the great villain actors yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the sort of gleeful, cackling, um, slightly effete, um, but not too too much so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just perfect for playing the, the crazed capitalist at the top of this shining tower. Oh, there's your 9-11 reference of the towers, right? The fact yeah. That there's a tower yeah. that's going to be brought down by the zombies. And what's interesting with his character for me is that um, with the goatee, he's you know he's kind of made to look sure. like... Mephistophelian. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And you actually mentioned in your book, you wrote you write in your book, that or wrote in your book, that um, he took on Milton's devil yeah i mean he, he really seems you know at, at least when i see it you know yeah. when when we look when we look at his bay window at, at you know at what's supposed to be the the great view that he has there it looks looks to me sort of like the surface of the moon you know or, or, or auschwitz at that point and, and yet you know this is his realm and it's 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 good to be it's good to be the king there yeah and, and that's kind of what he wants and there's just not that much to it but it, it, it's what he's got, mm-hmm. making and, the most. And the of poor, it. and again, it very much contrasted with the beginning of the movie, where the poor zombies just want to be left alone to, uh, I don't know, kind of shuffle around and hold hands and and in, and play musical instruments badly and 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 be with their kids, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so they have the zombies have all these sort of homey, middle class, middle America domestic kind of desires yeah and and they're the ones that are being preyed on by this 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 crazed robber baron at the top of a tower gosh kimmy maybe just think about that again now because it's like you know it may not be so much as rich versus poor but it might be all three classes with the zombies representing the middle class i never even thought about that <laughs> and Son of a gun. Up between that's right hey you got well, they me are again. the ones being preyed on yeah, yeah they are the ones being preyed on damn it oh Kim, did, you got I, me I, again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I, you know, again, it's, yeah. it's a mark of a good piece of art is, is yeah. if you can keep looking at it and seeing new new implications to it. Really? And I do love I do love the name of the town. Oh, they, yes. Yeah, tell us about that, because I, I read it, and I, I, did not, I did not know that. Why don't you explain to everybody what Fiddler's Green, or where the name Fiddler's Green came from? Well, that too, I was thinking, about, but yeah, I mean, Fiddler's Green is contrasted with the zombie town, but, but Fiddler's Green, I think, um... Uh, it, seem, it seems to come from a, a, a sailor's song about this kind of, um, you know, this place that's like um, the, what's it called in Pinocchio? Paradise Island? Oh, yes, yes. Um, yes right. Yeah. You know, where you just, where, you, where it's a very, it's a very sort of hyper-masculine version of paradise because you just go there and you, um, 
you drink and carouse and, and just act up, and there's no rules. Mm-hmm. Nice thing. And I mean, the main associations I had when I when I saw it in the movie was it looks it looks like those um, 1.5 million dollar condos that you see advertised in the back of in-flight magazines. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ah, this uh, real estate porn kind of stuff. <laughs> and that's exactly how you know Cholo is is being seduced into it, right? Yeah. You know, go out and go out and kill for Kaufman and rob and steal, and maybe we'll let you into the the floor, the bottom floor of Fiddler's Green. Of course, they won't. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking. I was also thinking of the contrast between that and the, the, the zombie town, which is named Union Town in the in the movie. Oh. You know, and that they again, there's references to unions and, and, and busting unions, and um, you know, again, maybe references to slavery with the union fighting against slavery in the Civil War. Wow. Um, and of course, it is. I understand it's a real suburb of Pittsburgh. Um, but so are lots of other towns. Yeah. We've named it Latrobe or any number of other places. So, yeah. You know, I, I think there's some deliberation that goes into these choices. You, uh, going back to Dante, um, you mentioned, now this is the specific one, you talked about how um, land is put specifically into the ninth rung of hell. Can you explain why that is? Um, just with the, with the, I think with the... Um, with the satanic figure of Kaufman uh-huh. and, and how he rules over this and and um, you know buy, buys into this this whole uh, system and and gets and again gets seduces other people into doing so. Yeah, I suppose that's that's part of it. Yeah. He um, he has one of the best lines in the series, which we talked about previously. You mind you mind repeating what that line is? <laughs> what he talks the, about the land of. of, of um, Talks oh, about yeah, yeah, that and the <laughs> other one um, when he talks about um, uh, was a truth in a land. What does he say? In, oh in, yeah, 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 yeah. One of his henchmen says, yeah. uh, "We're in, we're in trouble, sir." And he says, "We live in a we live in a world where corpses get up and walk around. What 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 possible meaning can trouble have for me?" Where's <laughs> <laughs> that effect? I forget yeah. if he said we have a problem or we have trouble. Yeah. Because it, it, it's so true. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we <laughs> gotta put it, things in perspective. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you you mentioned too, which is which is also another another interesting thing is that as much as Kaufman wants to thrive, he does need the zombies to keep this chaos going and keeping. He he's he's as much reliant on the zombies being alive as as being dead, right? Excellent, excellent point, excellent point, and I think that 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 has to play into the the, the Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld satire. Mm-hmm. Is that the, that part of the, you know, part of the idea of terror alerts, many of us suspect at this point, was to have people scared and have people rely on the government to say protect us, you know, protect us from this. Uh, you know, we don't care if you read our email or. or, mm-hmm. or or keep an eye on, uh, or monitor our phone calls, or whatever. We just want to be safe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can easily imagine in a world where corpses get up and walk around, if someone offered relative safety from that, you would give over a lot of your rights and, and to them. Yeah. Speaking of of safety and protection, uh, you you talked about how Riley makes an observation that the fences might be locking yeah. them in as opposed to keeping the zombies out and it 
comes into play late in the film when they're trying to save yeah. the residents of, of um, Fiddler's Green trying to escape, and, and certainly one of the most haunting parts of the film is why yep. Yep. they can't escape yep. because of the electrical fences and they just get devoured. Yep, yep. Trapped in between the fence and the zombies. Yep. Yeah, certainly it does play on, on security fears that we have in the real world. Yeah, yeah. The, the, in 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 our in our eagerness to to protect ourselves that we uh, we kind of wall ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah. Now we did touch on the ending of the film a little earlier, um, but um, would you say that this that land? Uh, well, for those again who may not have seen it, I'm sure everybody has seen it that's listening. But um, when Riley and Big Daddy see each other, they look at each other, and uh, Riley just says, "No, they're just trying to find a place to live. Let's go to Canada." Um, would you say that this is probably the most hopeful of endings out of all of the films? Yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 as far as um, that's as far as Romero's ever willing to go. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna have people and zombies living together in peace, and he's not and he's not. Well, I suppose the main thing he's not gonna have, and what makes him the most interesting, I think, is he's he's not gonna have a return to the way things were. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not gonna have like. Okay, let's 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 kill all the zombies and reestablish America the way it used to be. Yeah. That I mean, I understand that there's there's some of that at the end of night, but it's really a rather terrifying. Uh, yeah. Image, you know, with, sure. with with bodies with meat hooks and being thrown on a fire. Yeah. But in all the other movies, it ends with some version of something other than 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 this is going to rise, and and Land seems to make it the most clear that 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 could be a new society but not one um not one like the old one and as i say it seems like kaufman's society is the one that's the most conscious deliberately uh, a parody of current american mm-hmm. civilization now your book covers up to land and in a minute i'm just going to ask some of your thoughts on the remake of don um and get it just a little bit 28 days later we don't have to get very in depth but um did it surprise you after because you know you did this great book on the four films did you think that romero would ever go back and and were you surprised that he did diary in terms of almost like starting it over again almost like he was rebooting his own zombie franchise mm-hmm. um surprised you know yeah, going, you know, because it's, well, it's a, it's a reboot in the sense of going back to the first day of the outbreak. Yeah. So I could, I could see that element. But again, I think, uh, on the other hand, it is so, well, okay, it's a couple things. Yes, it's a reboot. Yes, it's a return to some of the night-type ideas. But at the same time, it's so rooted in, in, in current situations. Mm-hmm. And... You know the fact that the, the, the that not only will uh, that really to say to say the apocalypse will be televised is sort of dated already. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's so 90s to say that. You know, the apocalypse is going to be blogged and twittered or tweeted rather, excuse me, um, and, and 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 shown on our cell phone cameras. Yeah, and he's just fascinated and appalled at that that media frenzy of everything. Yeah. And so, you know, since that's what we're all so immersed in right now, um, that, that, that's what he wants to. That's what he wants to parody now. So, make, in, in that sense, the movie makes perfect sense yeah. for the time it was made. Yeah. And he'd and he'd always been playing around with making fun of the media ever since the first one. You know, yeah. casting himself as one of the news uh, news people, yep. casting himself as one of the news 
new people in the newsroom in in dawn yep um, you know, so it makes sense that, that, that he'd want make to make fun of that eventually. Yeah. And it reminds me of when we talked about night, how during all this action, as soon as the newscast would come on t TV, you would kind of stop and watch the TV. And it's like, well, the no. action's happening right outside your door. What do you need to watch TV for? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and I was struck, actually, I was struck because I, I recently uh, saw... Uh, night again uh -huh. as part of this uh, Night of the Living Dead reanimated. If you get a chance to see that project, oh, or have that have that guy onto your show, you should. Okay. They've they've taken they've taken Night, uh, right? They've taken the soundtrack of Night. Yeah. So you're playing the soundtrack of Night, and they pro they've had different animators provide animations for it. So it still tells the story, but it tells it with all different animated images but with the same soundtrack the that's same brilliant sound effect it is and this time through i was struck by exactly that it just and it cracked up the whole audience um when when harry's trying to get his wife to come out of the basement yeah you know it's it's the argument isn't well it's safer up there where he's saying they say well it's safer up there we need to get we need, we need to go up there and then he says and then, oh right and then she says well, wait. They have a television up there, and that and that's the point at which she goes upstairs. Yeah, that's what that's the that's the deciding factor. It's oh like, my oh, okay. god! And oh. you know what? Here we are. Here we are, 40 years later, and that line could still <laughs> could still exist and sound just as original as it did 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Unbelievable. Yes. We have bought into it. We have bought yeah. into it. And as I say, all the new all the new immediacy and and new kinds of uh, connectivity, the new kind. But uh, but of course in in. In in diary, that's of course the the, the irony is, is is you know all these new forms of connectivity disconnect the characters from each other. Yeah. And, and the whole time I was watching it, and I think anybody would would share this. The whole time you're watching it, you're, you're like, put down the camera and help that person yeah. being devoured, <laughs> yeah. or, or put down put down the camera and defend yourself. Yeah. You're being attacked. You know. Yeah. And it's like the. <laughs> yeah. It's like what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, before I let you go, let's just hit really quickly on the Dawn remake. Um, sure. Certainly, um, it was for me a true remake because it it took the original premise, um, but it really did change it to reflect the times that we're in now, and it didn't try to make a direct copy of the original. Um, mm -hmm. How would you rate it as a non-Romero slash Romero movie? I, you know, I really rediscovered the genre because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't, you know, I, I, I don't think I, well, I played Resident Evil at the video, at the at Dave and Buster's at the arcades, and mm -hmm. I played House of House of the Dead. So I'd seen some of the video games, um, but I just hadn't really thought of zombies for years and years. And I started seeing the ads for that in the early spring of 2004. Um, and I went and saw it opening night, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this, this, this is why I like zombies. Yeah. Um, so for me, it, it really worked. And I would say the same exact thing that I said about Land. I would say, this is just a great action film. I mean, this just – and I don't care, even if you don't like the whole film overall, you, you can't tell me that the opening sequence and the opening – leading through the opening titles. Yeah. Right? With yeah. Johnny Cash song. You can't tell me this, that that's not some of the best stuff you've ever seen. Yeah. You know, in terms of drawing you in. I, um, yeah. So yeah, it worked for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I'm 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 not thrilled with a lot of remakes, reboots, whatever it is you want to call them. Sure. Um, and it did take a lot for me to sit down and watch because I, I mean, I am such like like you are such a fan of, of Dawn, the original. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I really was. I thought it was I thought it was very well done. 
Um, and as we said before, with you know having name actors, I mean it is it is well acted. I really feel for the people. I really feel uh, you know I feel compassion for the characters that we like, and um, you know I really dislike the characters I, I don't like, and I yeah. really like to see them get eaten. Yeah. And that's to me that's that's one of the big that's one of the big unsung thrills of zombie movies is seeing bad people eaten. Yeah. Which, of course, as you noted in in Day, it was like here that you know these guys are finally getting their comeuppance. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, that's part of the joy of a feeding frenzy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I mean, the the remake of Dawn certainly has one of the more haunting moments with the with the baby being born as a zombie. Yeah. Um, that's kind of disturbing to say the least. Um, did you find that the themes in in the remake of Dawn, um, which I found, and I and I think you noted. I think I'm taking this from you, uh, racism and parenthood. Um, did you find that they were effective? Did you think that they really hit the mark? Um, I know it's a very general question, so... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, they're there and they're played with, and I think the racism, you know, again, it, it reflects its times. It was it, Racism's played with um, in in some, some ways that we hadn't seen before. Like, I mean, I think there's some real... Uh, there's some real authentic and kind of touching um, tension uh, between the, the, the Ving Rhames character and the McKay Pfeiffer character, uh-huh. right? Yeah. As, as two black men yep. who don't really seem to get along because one's a cop and one's a criminal. So, you know, they seem to be playing off some some, some tensions between them. Um, the guards in the, in the mall, I don't think they ever actually say anything racist, but they say, you know... A, grotesque, absurdly sexist things constantly mm-hmm. um, uh, before the people uh, take control of the, uh, of the mall away from them. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the other one? Parenthood. Parenthood. Um, yeah, it's, oh, that's, that, as you say, that's, ha- that's handled in a pretty you know, kind of overt and uh, outrageous kind of way, but I think it had been... Um, it's always been there ever since, ever since Fran was, shown to be, was, was said to be pregnant in yep. the original Dawn is that somehow um, you're going to play with images of, of, of the next generation, the future generation, and whether it could, whether it could survive in this situation. Yeah, and even, even the original night where you have, here you have a daughter murdering her own Kids. Yep. mother in, in cold blood. I mean, here she's yep. a zombie, and she's, she doesn't just eat her. She nope. stabs her. I mean, it's, it, that, that is really, even to this day, I mean, that's just that's a hard one. It's very unzombie-like. Oof, yeah. Um, 28 Days Later, um, a lot of debate whether or not it's a zombie movie. It is a zombie movie. Zombies run fast. They don't run fast. Certainly the remake of Dawn of the Dead has the fast zombies. Um, how, how do you find... Does 28 Days Later, does it fit in any of these? How, does it, how, do you, how would you put it in with these other films? How would, what do you think? You know, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a purist. I'm not gonna, you know, go crazy over labels. I mean, if you, I guess, if you wanted to be technical, you could say it's, a, it's, you know, it's a plague movie with, with zombie elements, mm-hmm. because the people are, you know, they're kind of mindless and crazed, uh, but they are still alive, breathing people, um, who are trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, they don't actually eat you at that point. They just kind of kill you and infect you, and then you become one of them. Yeah. So that, that element's the same as zombies. You become one of them. That's the key part. Um, 
I mean, for me, the move, the first one fell. I mean, they both fell apart for me for different reasons. The first, the first one fell apart just because it was, there was, there was so strictly divided between the first act and the second act. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first act was okay. okay let's, oh, oh my gosh, got to run away from the zombies. And the second act was, oh my gosh, got to run away from these soldiers who are trying to rape and kill us, mm-hmm. or at least rape us. I guess, I guess they weren't trying to kill you. So yeah. it's okay. We have to run away from the zombies who are trying to kill us. We have to run away from the soldiers who are trying to rape us. Yeah. And. I just didn't feel those two halves were integrated too well. I thought I thought the soldiers did come off as rather, you know, sort of cartoonish mm-hmm. sort of villains, uh, as much or even more so than the soldiers in, in Day. Yeah, I thought they really could have handled, been handled better. And in the second one, the Twenty Eight Weeks. Um, yeah. Oh, again, I mean that was that was like diary. I just didn't I just didn't feel that attached to any character. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't it didn't it didn't matter that much to me what was going on. Yeah. Um you know the other day I was um I was in Dark Delicacies over here in Burbank and um No oh, good for you. Yeah, I, it's I mean beautiful store. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you know, I'm walking around, I'm looking in there and it was just me and it was early and all of a sudden I look up and what what's pointing right at me? <laughs> pointing right at me is one of your books um called History is Dead. Um, so I want to ask you about that. Uh, for, for those that, that may not know about this book, what, what is the book? Um, you know, that's, that, that's one of the projects, um, uh, th- that's really one of the projects I'm the, I'm the most proud of, because that's, that's one that I edited. Um, so you got 20 authors. Um, uh, almost all of them are new. Almost all of them are, full, are first time um, published. And um, the the premise, the the hook on it, is that we're going to have zombie stories set before the 20th century. Wow. So not so much. Uh, there's not going to be so much shooting. Yeah. And it's also and it's also and therefore by definition it's also not going to be apocalyptic either. Sure. It's not the end of the world since the world went on afterwards. Um, so you know zombies through history and and that was the challenge and, and all the authors just had a great time. Thinking wow. Of, of scenarios for the zombies to go through. So you got your, uh, you know, and it goes chronologically. So your first story is zombies versus cavemen. Wow. And you go through uh, uh, zombies in the Civil War. Zombies, uh, zombies started the Chicago Fire. Um, uh, the, fi- the last story is set in 1899 and is um, Thomas Edison, of all people, is a mad scientist who's creating zombies in his basement. Oh, and, my and gosh. hilarious. That is so, awesome. I mean, that's, I mean, there's lots of funny ones yeah. and there's lots of creepy ones. Yeah. And I just was, I was just awed by by how much creativity we had. Going so, on. so what 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 made you come up with this idea? How did how did this like lightning bolt hit you? Uh, you know, it probably was. I'm trying to think if it was. Yeah, it, it was probably from reading um um, Zombie Survival Guide. You know, because he yep. has a little bit of that of that at the end where he said where he, he talks about different zombie attacks through time, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, his little stories are just a couple of sentences long of, of, of different different zombie sightings through the centuries and I thought, boy, if we if we really had some had some stories to go along with that, those would be those would be cool. And I also I mean I want to I want to see my monster in, in a different setting, you know, because yeah. you just you're just so used to seeing him shot in the head. Yeah. How um you know, how how would this how would this play out if he didn't have if it wasn't such a such a firearms intensive uh, story. And now are there a lot of um historical um people in it or is like Thomas S and like just happened to sh- you know one of the few or the only one that might be there 
Interesting. Uh, let's see. Fa- do how many famous people? Should, I, I know I had a lot submitted. I ended up uh, rejecting a lot because I thought it was just uh, it, it didn't always work having having the famous person show up. Um, there is. W- I guess I can give it away because I would assume a reader would figure out this. There's one story where it's never said that it's actually one of Henry VIII's wives, but that's, okay. that's, that was, that's the implication. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to think if there any... I don't think there are any other famous people in there. Okay. But um, I, I think... Yeah, I, I think anyone would like it, and it's as yeah. as you saw. If you saw if you saw the cover, yeah. you can vouch for the cover being pretty cool. Yeah, the cover was great. That's what I mean. That's what caught my attention at first, because at first I thought it might sure. have been, um, you know, maybe a nonfiction. And um, and then I saw, then I looked down, I saw your name in big letters. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. I'm gonna be talking to him in like a week. Um, so of course I had to, I had to look through it briefly. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure to, to talk to you about that. So, is that a brand new book that has just been released, or was that, or is it, has it been out for a while? Uh, no, that came out in 2007. Okay. 2007. Okay. Um, and I mean, how did, how did you wind up getting the writers? How do you go about editing a book like that? I mean, do you do you do you call a publishing company and say this is what I want to do, or how, how do you, how does that go? How does that go about happening? Interesting. Interesting. For me, and I, I'm sure it goes different ways depending upon the. You know, depending upon the publishing house and the editor's um, respective uh, relative fame and their their needs at the moment, um, I'd written my first novel for Permuted Press, um, and by that point, I'd also, of course, written Gospel Living Dead. Yep. So I was a, a, a little bit, just a tiny bit, known in the zombie world. Uh, and Permuted Press does, you know, they're they're branching out a little bit now, but especially back then, they were almost exclusively zombie fiction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was in contact with the editor at that point, so I could just say, look, um, you know, here's the, here's the hook, as I just described it to you. And, um, yeah, uh, he, he went for it. Wow. Um, and, you know, it was a, a matter of zombies being big at the time and still being big now, so that's good. Great. So, what so I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest to everybody you go you go to an editor and and, and pitch a pitch an anthology idea to them. Right, not going to fly. This this just happened to be I was in contact with a zombie press about zombies and I had written some zombie books, so it 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 worked well. Sure, um, a business connection. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so what's coming up for you now? What have you have you had any books released that are brand new? Uh, do you have anything coming up down the road? Where where is Kim Pavanroth at right now? Ah, yeah, um, you know, um, well situated, well situated, you know, there's a, there are dot-com bubbles and there are housing bubbles, there are all kinds of bubbles, but there's no zombie bubble, it just keeps rising, it doesn't pop, it yep. goes, goes, goes. Um, I have a, I have the, this kind of the sequel anthology to History's Dead, we did The World is Dead. Okay. Uh, that literally just came out. Um, similar kind of hook, um, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at zombie scenarios, significantly after day one so not zombies rising and taking over the world but at some point months or years or even decades later where zombies have taken over the world and people are living in some sort of new society or situation that that, that, that they've arranged so okay that was the challenge for the authors to imagine what that would be like um and some 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 you know, so it's, uh, I don't want to say it's sci-fi-ish, but some of them are sure. definitely in that direction of, of how people would cope sure. with these zombies through some technological advancement. Yep. Or sometimes it's just, you know, brute force or 
in some, many of the stories do have zombies that are not your typical zombie, but have a little bit more of the bub, okay. Fido type in, in, in residual intelligence going on. Okay. Um, so that was that was that was huge fun. Um, next year we'll have the trade paperback edition of um, another historical one, this time written by me, uh, called Valley of the Dead. That is my um, that's my take on one of the classics. Um, the premise there is that before writing Inferno, Dante had witnessed and engaged in fighting a zombie uprising, and that's where he got the idea for for writing Inferno. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a sort of a zombified uh-huh. Inferno, um, and that was that was huge fun to write because I'm, I'm fascinated by Dante's thought, and it was it was a, it was a way to way to work him in yeah. as, as a character and an influence on the work. Wow. Um, and the uh, the pocketbooks edition of my first novel, Dying to Live, which came out with Permuted Press back in 2007. Um, Permuted is now in a, in a co-publishing arrangement with pocketbooks, okay. where some Permuted titles are now being re-released uh, with pocketbooks in a much wider distribution to... Uh, to regular bookstores, and that will be out next year. And obviously, if people want to find your books, they can go to the usual internet sites. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Yep. Or the publisher's website. And Dark Delicacies. Um, Please, by all yes. <laughs> And your website is gotld.blogspot.com, right? Am I... That's me. I, I try blog every day. And you also have a Twitter account. I, I don't do that as much. I never know. I never know what to say on there. <laughs> you know, when I have a breakfast or something, Twitter's, Twitter's very strange, self-indulgent uh, expression. I think. I always tell my listeners, I'm like, you'll never know what I'm eating or or what I'm doing. You'll just get shocked. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I have time to do the interviews during the course of a week. <laughs> I don't want to try. All that stuff. That I can't even imagine how you keep up with everything with uh, with your teaching and your writing and everything else. Um, and, and staying up late to do these interviews with me, Kim. It has been an amazing three parts, um, three podcasts uh, interviewing you. You've been an amazing guest. I want to thank you again for coming on the show, um, and we will definitely have you back on down the road. Uh, I want to wish you and your family happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me. And I would like to again thank Kim Paffenroth for joining me here three times. Um, to talk about his book, Gospel of the Living Dead. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a fan of zombie films and uh, Romero's zombie films. Uh, It is uh, a great book, and um, I highly recommend it uh, uh, for everyone out there. Well, okay then, that wraps up this topic of George Romero's zombie films, at least the first four he did of the six. Although technically we talked about five. Well, we kind of talked. Well, no, we didn't talk about survival, which I believe which I believe I called Of the Dead because I think that's what the title was, or at least I saw a um, poster that said Of the Dead. So that wraps it up here, and I hope you really had a good time listening to these interviews regarding these films because, uh, I mean, Romero zombie movies, there's so much going on in them. It's I could do ten more shows on this. So, um, hopefully, too, this piqued your interest, not only in the Romero zombie movies uh, and Kim's book. Hopefully, too, it, it kind of inspired you to go out and, and, and find more film criticism on other 
uh, horror movies or dramas or anything along those lines. Uh, it's really an interesting thing to do. Uh, as I mentioned, it's something I really enjoy talking about. Um, and at some point soon as well, I will be uploading an interview that I did with a film professor as we discussed symbols in horror movies and, and all kinds of stuff. It's just it's just fun. And I, it kind of takes the movies from just, you know, quote unquote movies to, you know, something else at times. And don't say elevated horror. Those two words combined are not allowed inside the graveyard that is the one thing that can never be muttered or uttered or said in the graveyard that's like saying Macbeth in a theater elevated horror and that's a whole nother topic and now I just realize I'm starting to go down the rabbit hole (laughs) but please do not confuse film criticism with elevated horror it's a non-existing thing and if you agree or disagree, you can let me know. GYSpodcast at gmail.com. GYSpodcast at gmail.com. G as in grave, Y as in yard, S as in show. GYSpodcast at gmail.com is my email address. No social media just yet, but that may be changing in the not-so-distant future. Looking ahead at the next show, well, you know, I realized I've been hearing a lot from filmmakers and authors and I mean mostly it's been guys and I don't want there to be a misconception that I only had guys on the show or at least majority of my um, interviews that you've heard are from men so I thought it's time to let the ladies in and um, the Graveyard Show podcast had a lot of female um, guests on the show especially when it was Women in Horror Month so I thought why not turn it over to the ladies and uh that's where we're going to be headed starting next episode and uh it's going to be some great stuff as always uh the ladies bring it man and some of my favorite uh interviews were with uh many of these women um because it's just it's just some great stuff so stay tuned for that And if you're a fan of horror, and if you know anyone else that's a fan of horror, please let them know about the show. Uh, Let me know your thoughts. Email me. Leave them on YouTube, comments, uh, any of the other comment sections on any of the other podcasting sites. Uh, It's always great hearing from you, and it just helps me out as well. Okay, that's going to do it for me. And as you exit the graveyard, I would like to remind you as always to please lock the gate behind you. We certainly don't want any of the resident zombies to get out. Until next time.